During the holiday season, pies can be found on practically every dessert buffet. This dessert becomes a good way to use up older fruit before the winter season hits. It can be considered a pie or a custard and has its origins dating back to the 17th century. Mixed with a little citrus and a little more alcohol, this pie isn't what people think of when asked to bring something to the next holiday potluck. We're exploring the history and origins of Marlboro apple pie. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. So please take a moment and subscribe so we can have other listeners join us at the Christmas table. If you have a quick minute, please leave a review for the podcast. It lets me know how I'm doing as well as helps others find the podcast. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings can also be found on all the socials. All these links can be found on our website, seasonseatingspodcast.com. And while you're at the site, if you're feeling extra generous this holiday, you can buy me an eggnog. Every donation goes towards the running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. And finally, you can let me know how I'm doing, leave a suggestion for future episodes, or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast.com at gmail.com. There are a surprising number of old recipes that have made it into this century. From Victorian era dishes and even further back, early settler dishes. Dessert is one thing that has remained fairly steady throughout the centuries and was a staple after dinner long before it was a speciality on every modern-day restaurant menu. Out of all the desserts out there, especially in the U.S., pie is one of the number one sellers and extraordinarily popular for just about every occasion. I've talked about pumpkin pie in an earlier episode of Season's Eatings, but apple pie is just as common on the holiday table. This version of the apple pie has almost been lost to history, but once it was a favorite New England dessert for the holidays. Marlboro pie is an apple custard pie. Not to be confused with custard apple pie. Custard apples or sugar apples are also known as pawpaws. They're also found in the Americas in tropical locales. The Marlboro apple pie is usually a single crust pie in which the crust lines the pie dish and the filling is baked within. The finished pie has a sweet tart flavor due to the addition of lemon and sherry wine. In Apple Pie in American History, historian John T. Edge writes that the pie tastes of the tang of lemons, the silky musk of sherry, the base register of the apples. We've all heard the phrase, as American as apple pie. This beloved dessert, however, did not originate in the United States. 
14th century pies were very different from today's pie as they didn't contain sugar and the pastry, also called coffins, generally were not meant to be eaten. The coffins were meant to be used as a container only. Sugar during the 14th century was available, but it was very scarce and extremely expensive. The following very early apple pie recipe comes by the way of the form of curry. This cookbook was originally compiled about 1390 AD by the master cooks of King Richard II, presented afterwards to Queen Elizabeth by Edward Lord Stafford. I've talked about this cookbook many times on the podcast and with Craig Kringle on his episode about weird food traditions during the Middle Ages. I'll put a link to that conversation in the show notes. According to historians, this is one of the first records of the modern apple pie. For to make tartus in apples. Take good apples and good spries and figs and frayons and pears, and when they are well braid, colored with saffron well, and do it in a coffin, and do it forth to bake well. That's it. So heaven forbid you try to figure out how to cook an apple pie out of that recipe. Sugar, though, was readily available in the 16th century, and then, but the pastry coffins were actually meant to be eaten, along with the filling. A cookbook from the mid-16th century that also includes some account of domestic life, cookery, and feast in Tudor days, called The Proper New Book of Cookery, has a recipe for apple pie. To make pies of green apples, take your apples and pare them clean, and core them as ye will a quince. Then make your coffin. After this manner, take a little fair water, and half a dish of butter and a little saffron. And set all this upon a chafing dish till it be hot. Then temper your flour with this said liquor, and the white of two eggs, and also make your coffin and season your apples with cinnamon, ginger, and sugar enough. Then put them in your coffin, and lay half a dish of butter above them, and so close your coffin, and so bake them. While this seems a more lengthy explanation of how to make an apple pie, there is no measurements whatsoever, and all the spelling, if you could see this, is extremely varied. In the 1600s, though, when the English colonists arrived in North America, they only found crab apples. Crab apple trees are the only native apples to the United States, and the colonists found its tiny fruit a poor substitute for the Malus domestica. Settlers primarily used the apples to make cider, which was preferred to water as a drink and easier to produce than beer, which required labor-intensive land clearings. The early colonists of Jamestown brought European apple tree cuttings and seeds with them. Later in America's colonial history, planting trees was a good way to preserve a land claim. Colonists who didn't improve their land in some colonies, like Virginia, could have it taken away from them. European settlers arrived and brought with them their English customs and favorite fruits. In colonial times, apples were also called winter bananas or melt in the mouth. A single crust pie of stewed apples in a custard, fragrant with nutmeg, citrus, and sherry, Marlborough pie originated in England as a custard pudding 
and crossed the Atlantic with early English settlers. It's since been embraced its Americanness as another take on our beloved national dessert, the apple pie. In early colonial days, apples were plentiful, but perishable. To preserve them, colonists mashed them into sauce and cider. Home cooks turned older apples into puddings and pie. To stretch the apple pie filling for a pie, when stores of fruit grew thin, cooks added a custard base of milk and eggs. Of the pie's ubiquity, Edward Everett Hale, a historian once based in Boston, wrote in his 1893 book, A New England Boyhood. To this hour, in any old and well-regulated family in New England, you will find there is a traditional method of making the Marlboro pie, which is a sort of lemon pie, and each good housekeeper thinks her grandmother left a better receipt for Marlboro pie than anybody else did. We had Marlboro pies at other times, but we were sure to have them on Thanksgiving Day. According to the Apple Lover's Cookbook by Amy Traverso, the first recipe for an apple pie made with custard and eggs is listed in a 1660 British book called The Accomplished Cook by an English chef who trained in France named Robert May. Make a dish of butter and eggs. Take the yolks of 24 eggs then strain them with cinnamon, sugar, and salt. Then put the melted butter to them Find some minced pippins and minced citron. Put it on your dish of paste and put slices of citron around it. Bar it with puff paste and the bottom also, or short paste in the bottom. The Hartford Courant notes that ingredients like nutmeg, lemon, and sherry first began to appear in Britain in the mid-1600s through trade with Asia, Spain, and the Mediterranean countries. Colonists likely brought their recipes and some ingredients for apple custard pie with them to New England, where the apple trees prospered. The apples, though, used for Marlboro pudding were never the best. They had sat through the better part of the year and may have been rotten. The worm-riddled ones, the ones close to rot, those are the ones we crushed and strained through a horsehair sieve. That way, the garbage and worms would stay behind, and the rest would be made into Marlboro pudding. It's unclear why the pie came to be called Marlboro. The recipe from 1660 was strikingly similar to the Marlboro pudding recipe in the first known American cookbook, published in 1796, Amelia Simmons' American Cookery. We'll find out why the Marlboro pie has fallen out of fashion after the break. Hi everyone, I'm Dwayne from the Tinsel Tunes Podcast and I have a questionably unhealthy obsession with Christmas and I love Christmas music. So come with me on a journey as I go into detail about the history and stories behind a wide range of Christmas music. For instance, did you know that Silent Night has the honour of being the most recorded Christmas song of all time and has been recorded over 137,000 times by separate artists? Or that White Christmas was actually written in the height of summer? Each song, either recent or a golden oldie, has a background, and I want to share them with you. Come join us for our second season and listen at tinseltunes.com. We are on all the main podcast services, or you can find us with a simple Google search. 
Also follow us on all the social networking platforms and I hope to interact with you soon. What's up dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! So, is it a pie or is it a pudding? It's both, says Sarah Ramsey, lead interpreter at Old Sturbridge Village, a living history museum in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, that recreates rural New England of the 1830s. Pie and pudding in the 19th century are very interchangeable, depending on how they're served, she says. Because this is a custard-based dessert, it would technically be considered a pudding. But because it has a filling that has to be poured into something else, like a pie crust, in order to have it form and cook, it's also a pie. Ramsey is one of the costume historians in charge of operations at one of Sturbridge Village's many houses. Here, Marlboro Pie is a staple at Thanksgiving, where visitors can watch it being made, although only the employees of the village may partake in the joy of eating it. Marlboro pudding is probably one of the favorites of everyone in the village, says Ramsey. It has a really nice, light flavor. It probably disappears the most on the table. The exaltation of Marlboro pie to the 19th century Thanksgiving table features in the American writing of the time, from Harriet Beecher Stowe to Edward Everett Hale. In her 1869 book, Old Town Folks, Stowe wrote that around Thanksgiving, pies were made by 40s and 50s and 100s, and made of everything on the earth and under the earth. Huckleberry pies, cherry pies, apple pies, marble pudding pies, pies with top crusts and pies without, pies adorned with all sorts of fanciful flutings and architectural strips laid across and around and otherwise varied, attested the boundless fertility of the feminine mind when let loose in a given direction. It seems she was batty for the stuff, John T. Edge writes of Stowe's pie obsession before quoting the above excerpt in his book Apple Pie, an American Story. Marlboro pie was extremely popular in the 19th century New England, considered an indulgent treat as well as an ingenious use for apples nearing spoilage. One reason for its popularity at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year was that it used apples harvested in the fall and about to go bad. Early New Englanders store their apples in sand in a root cellar. So just before the holidays, the ones closest to rot and full of worms could be strained through a horsehair sieve and pureed. 
It was special because it was both more labor-intensive and more expensive to make the other pies of the time, says Ramsey. The sherry was probably coming from Spain, nutmeg was coming from Indonesia, lemons from Sicily. Finding the ingredients could be tricky at the time. When the apple custard pie got the Marlboro moniker remains a mystery. No one really knows how it got the name Marlboro. Perhaps it came from the market town of Marlboro, 75 miles west of London, or the village of Marlboro in Devon, or maybe a monk, Thomas of Marlboro, or a duke, General John Churchill, first duke of Marlboro. It was definitely not named after Marlboro Street in Boston, though, which didn't exist until the 17th century. To make matters more confusing, it's also sometimes known as Deerfield Pie, presumably after another Massachusetts town. A gloomier conundrum is why there's sorrowful little marble pie to be found in the Anglo-American culinary lexicon today. In fact, Clementine Paddleford's explanatory preface suggests that even in the 60s, the pie was not ubiquitous. By the 1840s, America was losing its cultural ties to England and embracing language, entertainment, and food uniquely American. As an anonymous writer remarked in 1840 in a New York magazine, The Knickelbocker, persons of a certain age were very much under the domination of that absurd style which emphatically called good English cookery. And then the writer took aim at London cookbook writer Hannah Glass, who wrote the best-selling Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy in 1747. We had emancipated ourselves from the scepter of King George, but that Hannah glass was extended without challenge over our firesides and dinner tables, with a sway far more imperative and absolute he or she wrote. In 1896, Fanny Merritt Farmer published her first Boston cooking school cookbook, it had not a whisper of a Marlboro pie in it. Or did the temperance movement kill the Marlboro pie? After all, the pie contains more than a little bit of sherry or wine. Temperance advocates who gained strength in the mid-19th century had an impact on cooking style. Women stopped poaching pears in port, turned to beet juice. Perhaps the Marlboro pie custard without sherry just lacked that special something. Sarah Ramsey attributes Marlboro Pie's faded glory to the added labor of cooking the apples down and the fear of custard scrambling as it bakes. But pie aficionados who have baked a conventional double-crust apple pie will find this a far simpler affair, with the potential to be a bigger hit for its subtle creamy sweetness, the bright tang of lemon, and the warmth from the sherry and spices. The pie itself tastes nothing like how it would seem. Although it does have a custard base, the flavor is light and sweet without being heavy by any means. This is most surprisingly due to the fact that the original recipe did call for so many egg yolks, which would lead one to believe that the pie is, in fact, quite dense. In fact, it's lighter than a typical modern-day apple pie. Few establishments serve the pie today, although homebakers have kept it alive in the culinary imagination. 
In England, the celebrated chef Rick Stein serves Marlboro pudding at his restaurant every fall. His innovative update on the traditional British recipe is that it's topped with a glazed Italian meringue and served with a warm custard. So this holiday season, I challenge you to revive the Marlboro pie. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and be the envy of your guests. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And please, if you can leave a review about the show so you can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eatings sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. Let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And I know we all get busy, so even sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would be a big help. And if you're feeling extra generous this holiday season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Seasons Eatings also has great items for you or your loved ones for the holiday season. So head on over to seasonseatings.com, click on the merchandise tab, and find your next great gift. I'm your host, Glenn Warren. Thank you for listening, and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is also part of the Christmas Podcast Network. Whatever interest you have with the holidays, there's probably a podcast out there covering that topic. You can find Seasons Eatings with all the other podcasts at christmaspodcasts.com. Drop on by to find your next podcast addiction. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under the Creative Commons license.